Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brothers F Bookcast. Today, I am joined by my brother Francisco, and we will be covering On Writing by Stephen King. So, just to give a quick kind of synopsis of On Writing, it is a sort of memoir writing tip hybrid of sorts. So, the first third of the book is uh, a memoir of Stephen King's life. Um, and then the last two thirds are kind of his tips on writing both, you know, not just writing fiction, but also, you know, just writing tips in general. And he goes, um, you know, in, in, into a decent amount of depth there. And surprisingly, it was not um, uninteresting at all. It was actually quite interesting. He did a good job of kind of keeping audiences captivated while talking about how to be a good writer. Um, I guess some background on this uh, memoir dash writing guide. Uh, it was written actually in the year 2000, so 20 years ago. Um, and obviously, Stephen King is still alive and well. So um, he has added since added kind of a postscript, uh, which he has entitled On Living, which I did not read. Um, he added that uh, um, in 2020, but um, we'll, we'll stick to yeah, kind of the crux of the book. Yeah, we'll stick to the crux of the book, kind of how it was um, uh, published in its original form. And I think uh, to kick off the conversation, we can maybe uh, start with kind of his memoir about, uh, about well, his life. I have a question for you, Diego. Yeah. So it was your idea to cover this book. Uh, why did you pick it? Like, do you have like secret literary ambitions that I don't know about? No, you know, that's actually a good question. I picked it because... Um, I was watching an interview with uh, one of my favorite authors, um, uh, or rather the son of one of my favorite authors who's also an author. And uh, he recommended that everyone read it. You know, I, don't, I do not have secret literary ambitions. However, I'm always in a quest to improve my writing. Um, kind of goes with the territory in my job. There's a lot of writing, some of it more, um, you know, straightforward, but... Uh, if you really stop and think about it, um, being able to write well is an extremely important um, tool that e whether it's an email or, you know, a 14 page memo, whatever, uh, it's important to be able to write well and concisely. And so I figured, hey, it definitely can't hurt. Um, I think Francisco and I had both read this back in high school, but it had been a few years. So I figured I got the book off Amazon for 10 bucks. So you know, I figured I'd order it and uh, read through it again. And it was, uh, as I mentioned before, a pretty quick read. You wouldn't think an instruction guide on writing would be an easy read, but I guess that's why Stephen King's so good, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of uh, famous writers like to publish these things and sort of uh, cash in on their success again uh, in a kind of a meta way. Like I know, I know uh, Norman Mailer did one. Um, I'm sure uh, other people have too. You know who needs to do one uh, is actually J.K. Rowling. Um, <laughs> I think I, I think she would uh, she would uh, make a mint uh, with with that kind of book. Um, but you know it's it's funny because like J.K. Rowling and Stephen King have this thing in common where they've uh, they've both written under pseudonyms that they've tried relatively seriously to protect. And I, my personal theory is that the reason that they've done this 
is that they're not sure whether they deserve their success. Hmm. So whenever you become outrageously successful like J.K. Rowling or Stephen King, and they have similar rags to Rich's Tales, right? Yeah. You know, he was living, I believe, in a trailer and sort of being tormented by his father-in-law for, for, you know, being a teacher and not making enough money. And, you know, then he wrote Carrie and it became a movie and he became fabulously wealthy. And uh, J.K. Rowling was famously supposedly a welfare mom and writing Harry Potter on, on napkins and was rejected several times. I mean, imagine being the schmuck who rejected Harry Potter, but um, yeah, but you, uh, and then she too made it big. And so, so like part of the reason we like these figures in my opinion is because there's like part of you that's like, Oh man, that must be so great. Maybe it could even happen to me too. Maybe, I mean, and, and it's not like, necessarily like you're going to write those novels but like the similar kind of rags to rich's situation where like so you know you're suddenly fabulously wealthy and respected uh and, and you know stephen king stephen king doesn't get all the respect that he wants and, and neither does jk rowling they're both fame they've both uh, famously been sneered it by uh uh harold bloom yeah i think uh, that just comes with the uh you know i guess commercial success yeah, that comes with commercial success. And I think, you know, you can feel free to chime in, but I think just fiction writing in general, I feel like a lot of uh, fiction writers, yes, even J.K. Rowling and Stephen King, who are probably, you know, two, well, J.K. Rowling definitely, and I'd put Stephen King probably, you know, probably top five fiction writers of Well, J.K. Rowling uh, is a billionaire, and yeah. I think Stephen King has like a, it has a, nine figure net worth like it's yeah. sort of in the mid nine figures yeah exactly yeah they're, they're doing just fine and i think you know a lot of people a lot of maybe writers and authors who don't necessarily write in the territory who aren't necessarily fiction writers tend to look down on fiction writers um that's just my impression based no, on like Different fiction writers have different levels of prestige, and yeah, if, if you sell too many books, all of a sudden you're you're not considered prestigious. Um, yeah, and, and and you know what, J.K. Rowling and Stephen King do not write literary fiction, but it doesn't mean that what they write isn't they don't write great novels. I mean, I I've been reading Harry Potter with my my son, and uh, there's there's a genius there. I mean, there, I think she <laughs> I think she captured something really basic about how children experience the world and even how adults experience the world or right? that there's this, you have this sort of like longing for this hidden magical world. Um, but anyway, let's not, let's not go on a, on a Harry Potter digression. Yeah. Um, I should also note that, you know, part of the reason I read this book was, um, you know, I've read a few of Stephen King's, um, novels and I, I actually was quite impressed by them you know I, I really enjoyed them they're they're definitely very scary and uh he, he also has a great ability to you know build up suspense and really I, I must admit I uh I was very scared to turn off the lights at night you know <laughs> after after reading some of his novels so he's good at what he does you know so I figured um probably a good idea to, to get a writing lesson from him because he, you know, the, the success is deserved, you know, as much as, as there probably are, you know, 
many many writers who can write oh, just as well. What tortured him, right? He he was yeah. like, is the success deserved, or is it just the fact that right time, right place? Um, and and then they made Carrie into a movie that happened to be a hit, right? It yeah. kind of actually goes back to that earlier discussion we had about uh, fooled by randomness, right? So like, what would uh, what would uh, Talib say about King and Rowling's success? Well, I actually have a theory here, and I'll, I'll let's keep it to King here because you know Rowling. I uh, I haven't read the Harry Potter books in a while, and you know fine. this is on writing, so. Uh, I guess this is a good segue into kind of the memoir part of his uh, of his book. So Stephen King was writing since he was four years old, like his first kind of the first time he remembers writing was when he was four and wanted to write a comic strip for his mom. And his mom pushed him to do a better job. And, and you know, he since then, you know, since since the age of like eight, nine, ten, he would constantly write stories and submit them to these science fiction magazines and um you know he writes about how he would get rejection letters and he would keep all those rejection letters and he would staple he would not staple them he would he had a nail kind of on top of his bed uh there there was like a beam of wood on top of his bed and he would just nail all the rejection letters together and by the time he was 19 he had so many the nail was starting to break right and he would really, really treasure the rejection letters where there was like kind of a personal note on them. Like, you know, this is good, but probably not the right form for it or like keep on writing. And so to say his success was random, I mean, he's this is someone who was writing science fiction since as early as he could write. You Look, know, I'm this not- was someone who really cared about the craft. He's, and- he's not a talented uh, writer and that his novels aren't good. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are other talented writers whose novels are good. And yeah, I mean, of course whether, there are, whether right? Or not, whether or not you have nine-figure literary success, there's there's an element of luck there. Yeah, of course there is, right? There, there are thousands of writers there, and there's only so many books we can read. But my point here is, yeah, maybe there are thousands of writers um, who can write very good science fiction novels, but Stephen King, his success was not like kind of like a random chance. Maybe the fact that he got discovered was, but he had been working on his craft since, you know, that's what he did, you know, um, since he was in his early teen years and he would distribute, like he has a story there about how, when he was a senior um, in high school, he wrote this short story and then illicitly started to distribute it in class, you know, getting a, quarter per you know he would charge a quarter for the story and by the time you know the day was done everyone in the school had a copy then the next day he got called in by the principal and was forced to return all that um return all the money he had collected but my point is this is someone who worked at his craft and yeah maybe there are writers who are as good as him but i don't think there are many is the thing um like this is stephen king was someone who was submitting science fiction stories since you know the age of 11 to magazines so is it your opinion that if uh, Stephen King's Richard Bachman pseudonym had never been discovered and he'd kept publishing under that pseudonym, eventually the Bachman books would have become a hit in their own right? I mean, I think it's very likely. Like, I'm not denying that there's a chance, like, that there is luck involved to, you know, becoming one of the 
you know, most well-known authors of, of, you know, of today's, of today, right? You know, he is one of the most well-known in the world, right? There's got to be an element of luck and an element of being in the right place, right time, being discovered by the right person with the right connections. But here's the thing. You put someone else in that same scenario, right? Who hadn't worked as much on his craft, who hadn't, you know, been as diligent, then they would probably not have received that level of success. Their version of Carrie, whatever it is that they wrote, probably would not have not gotten accepted and um, not yielded as favorable results. So I'm saying, though there was an element of luck, it's not like he was doing this as a hobby, like writing was his profession, you know? Even while he was an English teacher at the local high school, you know, he would come home and every day he would write for six hours, you know, and that was before he got discovered, right? So this was someone who was clearly very committed to writing and very diligent about it. And that's not something that most writers, I'm, I'm willing to bet most writers out there who, you know, haven't been discovered, you know, they probably don't do that. You know, um, if you consider how many thousands of writers are publishing stuff, right, or submitting stuff to be published. My my point is like this success, there was an element of luck to it, but it also, he had to work hard for it. Um, and he did. And he was very, very diligent. And he was working on this since the age of 11, right? Even before. So um, I feel yeah, like... I don't, I don't say that to take anything away from him. I actually really enjoy Stephen King's novels and I think he's a great writer. I just, I just think it's interesting that two of the most successful English language writers in our time both have this compulsion to test their success by using a pseudonym. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's natural too. I mean, it's, you, you want to see if you can do it again. Right. But I think with these authors, I think that may be kind of a complex that successful people maybe encounter specifically successful writers, but um, at the end of the day, I mean, they were exactly in that scenario that they're putting themselves in right now, you know, an unknown author with, um, you know, no recognition whatsoever. And so I think they're just trying to see if they can repeat their success. But um, I think it's just a natural complex. I think it's natural to human psychology to see, to second guess yourself, especially someone like Stephen King, who's been famous since the 70s, right? So, um, but there's the talent there is undeniable. And I don't think someone who's trying, I think someone who's trying to undermine that is either maybe a little bitter or just a snob, just a snob. Because I mean, you've, you've read Stephen King's novels, right? They're good. (laughs) The guy knows what he's doing. (laughs) You know, if, if you're looking for, you know, suspenseful science, like a suspenseful fiction novel, like you're not going to get scarier than Stephen King, or maybe you will, but like, you pick out a Stephen King book, I guarantee you, you will be held in suspense. So, <laughs> um, you know, he has talent. And uh, I don't know. I mean, yes, to be, become one of the top writers, you know, to become a J.K. Rowling or Stephen King, there's definitely an element of chance and luck to that. But that doesn't come without having worked on your craft. How many undiscovered Stephen Kings and J.K. Rowlings are there out there? Yeah. No, it's, it's a good point. But my point is, I don't think there's as many as we think. 
I don't think there's as many people who are as I mean, I don't know much about J.K. Rowling's story, but I do know she was writing, you know, there's that famous story that she was writing on the back of napkins or whatever. She would write down ideas back when she was on welfare. But like these were people who even when they had absolutely no money were still writing. Right. That's what they were doing. And well, it's, not, it's not to take anything away from them to say that. I just, I wonder, you know, who else is out there who might be equally as good? No. Yeah. That, and that, that's the question. That's I'm giving you what I believe to be my, like what I believe to be the answer. My question is, my answer is, I don't think there are that many. I really don't. I think there's a lot of people who think they could be as good and just haven't been discovered. But if you look at all the hours that Stephen King dedicated to his craft, you know, coming back from a long day at work and then immediately, you know, writing for six hours, right? Every day without fail, no days off. Like um, that's not something most people are willing to do, right? That's something he did on top of his normal profession, which, you know, being a teacher isn't exactly a jog in the park. You know, it's, it's definitely a hard, hard job. So yeah, it's our job, um, yeah. So, I mean, that just takes a lot of dedication and I'm not sure, I, I'm sure there are undiscovered Stephen King's and J.K. Rowling's out there, but I don't think there's as many as maybe Nassim Taleb or the average person would posit, you know, would, would guess. I think there's, there's fewer than that. So that's just my opinion. Like after having read the memoir part of On Writing, you know, I really was left with the impression like this was someone who's extremely passionate about writing, who when he had absolutely no money, who was working, he was working, I guess, uh, to add to the story, in addition to working as a teacher, he was also working as a, you know, clothes washer. They would wash linens for hotels and restaurants and stuff. And he would have to take the maggots and lobster out of the, out of the, you know, restaurant tablecloths. And then, you know, you know, he had kind of an anecdote about that, but this was someone who was working two jobs and in addition to working the two jobs would come home and write, you know, and he was doing this while having two kids and, and a wife. And so um, yeah, he credits his wife a lot. That's actually, and I just think that does take a certain level of dedication. I really do. I, I don't think the average writer would be that dedicated. I don't think I, cause I know I wouldn't, right. I'm not that I'm a writer, but my hobby, right. Whatever hobby I have, I'm not sure I would be that dedicated to anything, you know, having to work two jobs, and then still find the time on well, top of having like wife and kid, wife and kids yeah, to really. find six hours to write. That's that's crazy, actually. Yeah. So I'm I'm just trying to give Stephen King credit, you know, yes. I, and and J.K. Rowling, I guess, to a certain extent as well. I, I don't know as much about her story, but these were people who are very, very disciplined and dedicated, and I'm not sure how common that is. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, fair enough um so what like what were to you what were the most interesting parts of the the bi the biography section yeah the biography section i thought was great actually the whole book was really great but a very very uh easy read because he actually has a pretty interesting life so um i guess to give maybe a high level run through of his biography you know stephen king was born and raised in maine um, to a single mom. Uh, he had an older brother as well. And uh, he did move briefly in his youth to like Wisconsin and a few other areas, but they always ended up back in Maine. And that's where he pretty much grew up his whole life. 
Um, and as we kind of alluded to earlier, he had an affinity for writing. It was something he very much enjoyed. Um, specifically kind of fiction, that science fiction writing. And so from the age of 11 on, you know, he would constantly be writing, submitting stories to, uh, to you know, science fiction magazines. Remember, this was back in the 70s uh, or earlier than that, actually, like the 60s and the 50s before TV was, you know, really the main mode of, uh, of kind of media. So he would get his entertainment from uh, reading these science fiction magazines. And uh, yeah, he talks about his childhood a lot. Um, eventually... He ended up at the University of Maine, uh, where he majored in English. Um, he originally it wasn't in his plans to go to college, but um, his mom kind of talked him into it. She made a comment about how, uh, you know, being a lonely, depressed writer on the banks, uh, being a lonely, depressed writer is only sexy if you're a bachelor and living on the banks of the CN. So she really encouraged him to go get a job. <laughs> and so he went to the University of Maine, majored in English. He met, he actually met his wife there. They got married kind of uh, upon graduating. And uh, he took a job as an English teacher at the local high school, as well as, um, as kind of like a linen washer. Um, and yeah, I, I, that's kind of like his earlier life. What I found most interesting about his biography was um, kind of how he got discovered, you know, um, and what occurred after that. So he would constantly be writing, as I alluded to earlier. Occasionally, he would receive, you know, pretty good checks. You know, he talks about one time before having written Carrie, um, which was his breakthrough novel, receiving like a $2,000 check, which was more than 50% of what he would earn in a year. So, you know, obviously having like a huge help like that, as you mentioned before, he was living in a trailer. I mean, I don't care if that's 1970s dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Four, and then 4,000. Sorry, sorry. I want to know what 4,000 would be in 1970s. Yeah. It was not much. I mean, as you mentioned before, he was kind of living in a trailer. And it wasn't until he actually got that check that they were able to move to an actual apartment. It's equivalent and, to uh, about $26,000 yeah. today. Exactly. So <laughs> brutal though. It is. It's a tough life. And uh, that's why he had to kind of take that second job. But it was after receiving that first check for submitting something to a magazine that they were able to move to an apartment in Bangor, Maine. And uh, then he kind of goes into the process of having written Carrie. So he started writing Carrie and then realized it was something he didn't really know much about, you know, women's locker rooms and like feuds <laughs> among women. So, um, so he actually threw it away. He threw it away. And the next well, day when he got home. There you go. There's the, like, there is a chance element. Like if he, if yeah. he had, if he had. Never, if he had decided never to finish Carrie, who knows where he'd be. Yeah. He actually, so he threw it away and he talks about coming home from, you know, teaching the next day. And uh, his wife, Tabitha, Tabby, um, had it in her hands. And she's like, and she asked him, you know, what, why did you throw this away? You know, I think you really have something here. He's like, no, I, I think I, I've really overreached kind of my knowledge here. I think I'm stretched. And she's like, no, you really have something here. So she really encouraged him to finish it. 
Um, he submitted it for publication and then he talks about the conversation he had with his wife. She asked him, you know, so how much do you think you would get if this got published in, in, uh, in this magazine? And he's like, well, you know, I heard about someone who got something published here and, you know, earned 20,000, 40,000. They were like, no way that's unheard of. Like, you know, keep in mind, this guy was earning, you know, like $4,000 a year. But as it turned out, they loved it so much that they actually, they paid $400,000 for the rights. And that's kind of where his career took off. Um, and yeah, I mean, after, that, that's, two, that's more than two and a half million dollars in, in today's value. Yeah. Well, I should note, he got $400,000 for it. $200,000 had to go to the uh, agency and two hundred. he kept 200000 But yes, he's... Uh, <laughs> 50%? Yes, that was part of the deal. The contract was yeah, well, remember, he was a completely unknown author before this. Yeah, agents don't take that much money nowadays. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think it was just like a deal that was pre-written there. And uh, yeah, he got to keep $200,000 of that. And after that, his writing career really took off. And I guess um, one other note. I, I not really know. I guess, you know, upon completing Carrie, you know, he kind of talks about the challenges he encountered then. Um, really, he became addicted to drugs. He had a huge cocaine habit and was an alcoholic. After he became successful. Well, he was kind of an alcoholic before, but yeah, the cocaine didn't start until after. Okay. Cocaine, um, cocaine, the cocaine habit he picked up after he had money. Yeah. And he started like, cause he was writing like crazy, you know? Um, Actually, one thing he noted in on writing, which I found pretty crazy, because you know I've read Cujo, which is a pretty, pretty good book. I mean, it it, it one of those books where like again you're scared to turn off the lights at night. Um, and he's like he does not have a single recollection about writing Cujo. <laughs> That's he did. So he was on a bender when he wrote Cujo. Yeah, he does not remember Cujo at all, and he really regrets that um, because he's like I read it. Kind of cool because you can read your own work like it's the, somebody else's work. You're like, what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's why he regretted it so much, right? Because he read it and then he's like, wow, this is – I would have really enjoyed the process of writing this. You know, this is right up my alley and I don't remember it at all. That's and so that was kind of a wake-up call to him. You know, his family kind of held an intervention of sorts. And uh, yeah, he's been sober both from cocaine and alcohol for – you know, I guess now it would be like 40 years almost back when he wrote this, it was almost 20. So, um, but yeah, he has absolutely no recollection of writing Cujo and other novels. You know, he only has slight recollections of writing them. So definitely overcame that, but that would, that I just found maybe, that maybe that's how I need to write legal briefs. <laughs> I would not do that. He, he advises against it. So he advises the, if that's not the advice that he gives in on writing, then like get get yeah. really high. <laughs> he uh, he does not he he yeah he does not speak fondly of those times. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of like his biography. I know I kind of rambled on there, but you know it's it's Stephen King, you know. So I, I was just kind of reciting, kind of I don't want to go through all the stories of his childhood and and all that, but that's kind of in a nutshell how he became Steve, the Stephen King of today. Uh, all right. Um, any any other cool sections from the biography part or that you want to highlight? 
I mean, honestly, I, I don't really do it justice. I'm kind of reciting the facts. He being Stephen King is, you know, I really, really recommend that our audience just picks it up and read it. You know, even if you don't want to learn about writing, read the first third of it because it's pretty fascinating. And I'm sure you'll be roped in to read the rest of it once you read the first third of it because... Well, no, I mean, I have. I have. Re- I mean, I've, I read it in high school. But, um, yeah. No, I'm just talking to our audience generally. Like, it's definitely well worth the read. Yeah, and, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's things that still stick out to me from it. I mean, I remember his hatred of adverbs. Yeah. That I was remember, one thing I remembered as well. <laughs> I remember his... Uh, his description of the muse as the guy who lives in the basement. Yeah. And then he has this like, like idea that his like novels aren't so much something he creates as something he discovers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not misremembering. That, that, no, you're not at all. And that kind of segues into the writing part of it. So um, I want to let our listeners know that, you know, this isn't like a writing lesson he's giving. He's really kind of delving deep into his process. And, you know, yeah, he says, you know, don't use adverbs. And, and you know, he has other pointers like that. But he really delves deep into his creative process and how you can go about writing. And the way he described his writing is it's kind of like, um, it's like uncovering a fossil. Like, he doesn't know how his novels are going to end when he starts writing them. He just begins to write. And ideas come to him. And uh, he recommends that approach for people who are pursuing, you know, careers in, in fiction writing. You know, um, you don't have to have a roadmap as to how the story is going to go off the bat. And he's had several novels that he started and just never finished because they didn't really go anywhere. But he said as his careers kind of progressed, that happens less and less and less. And in fact, a lot of those novels that he didn't finish he then came back to, you know, after three, four months away from them, you know, when he found kind of like a really cool ending to it or a really cool progression to it. But yeah, it's kind of like uncovering a fossil. Like he starts writing and the characters, he doesn't even know, you know, how he wants the characters to develop, to, de- to develop. He just lets them develop. You know, he lets his mind take him to where it needs to take him. Just kind of discovers these characters, you know. He they're like fossils that he's uncovering, and he lets his mind develop them as he's writing. Um, and there's no real roadmap before before he starts a novel. It's not like he knows oh, how it's right, going right. to end. He doesn't, he doesn't he doesn't plot his novels at all. Like there's no like, there's no point where he like sits down and makes an outline, which is kind of remarkable because <laughs> I mean you read his books and they're 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 really crazy. But yeah, he he kind of vouches for that approach, you know, like let your characters develop as you write, as you write about them, let the novel develop yeah. as you write it. I think pe- different people do things differently. And I yeah. I, I, I don't think there's, I think he could also write great novels if he decided to plan them out in advance. Yeah. That's just not his MO. Um, yeah, it's not his MO. And then, you know, he does get more into the technical aspects of writing Right. So before kind of getting into the section of on writing, there's like a short 30, like, I actually think it's even short. I think it's like an 11 page section called the toolbox where he basically uses the analogy of like, kind of like a three, you know, those toolboxes where you open and there's kind of like three layers, three like mini shelves in them. And he goes about how, you know, that first shelf should be your vocabulary. You know, the second shelf should be, 
you know, descriptors or I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but he kind of uses the analogy of a toolbox to how you should approach writing, right? You always want to be adding to your toolbox. You always want to be, you know, relying on your toolbox and open, you know, what you need. And uh, then he kind of gets more, you know, there are sections where he gets a little more technical. Like we've mentioned a few times, you know, he really, really tries to refrain from using adverbs. He also talks about how he develops dialogue and he says, you know, keep descriptors out of dialogue, you know, keep it to he said, she said, John said, uh, Delilah said, you know, just don't add like he said slyly or he said shyly or anything like that. He said that really detracts from dialogue. And he's like, let the reader surmise how the characters are talking, how they feel. You know, you don't, you shouldn't have to tell them how they said it. They should have to know. Like he won't even write, he slammed the door. He writes in his novels, you know, he closed the door and he's like, the reader should be able to know by how you're writing that the door was being slammed, you know, which I thought was pretty cool. And I think, you know, if you are approaching writing, that's actually a good thing to keep in mind, right? You know, if if you really want to be doing a good job of like description and kind of progression, you shouldn't have to tell your not, your your readers what how things are being done. They should be able to surmise that from, you know, the novel itself. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, look, I mean, he's he's a professional, so he he'd be the one to know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. So yeah, he gets kind of the technical aspects there, but you know, it was a book I kind of picked up just because you know I heard one of the son of one of my favorite authors talk about it. He said, you know, even if you're not a writer, this is a book you should read because uh, we all write in some capacity or another, whether it's emails. I guess in your case, legal briefs, which are probably pretty legalese, but you know, legal regardless of what you, it's, it's, I just don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think the advice for writing a good thriller or horror novel and the right, the advice for writing a good legal brief are the same. No, they're not. I, but then again, you don't want your writing outside of legal briefs to reflect a legal brief. <laughs> oh, <laughs> It'll put people to sleep real fast. The problem with like legal prose is it's like totally desiccated. Yeah, like you can't have like like you you're you're writing about things that no one wants to read. Yeah, so, I mean, I would treat are extremely busy. Yeah, uh, I I I don't think we should get too into like legal legal briefs here because you know that's a very specific niche aspect of writing which i don't think unless our listeners are lawyers i don't think anyone's gonna go up and read a legal brief no one cares. voluntarily <laughs> so i agree <laughs> yeah um but you know even you know we all write in some capacity or another it's like it's it's just interesting to think about how the kind of thing you're writing affects the type of writing advice that applies. Yeah, no, absolutely. However, I, I will note about this, uh, about on writing. What I will note is that it's kind of general writing advice that you can really kind of apply to all aspects with the exception of 
legal briefs. <laughs> you know, like we all write emails. We all write, you know, we all communicate to people by writing, right? Um, and I w- I've been able to take aspects of this, of on writing and kind of apply them to, you know, when I'm writing an email for work or, or just kind of communicating with someone um, even outside of a work setting. Uh, and I think writing is something that we should all be, even if we're not writers, all be striving to improve, you know, and the only way to really improve it, I guess, as Stephen King says, is to write more. But when you have like a guidebook such as Stephen King's, I think it's very useful to give it a read. And I think uh, there's definitely some useful tips in there. So what do you... uh what do you think about the fact that he wrote the novel for and after this life-changing accident that could have destroyed his career? That's actually interesting because he actually started writing on right, writing. Novel, I should have said. He wrote yeah. the memoir. Like he wrote his memoir while he was having this like life-altering event. Yeah, it's interesting because he started it actually a little before he started writing his memoir dash on writing a little before the accident and then he had i guess to give our our listeners um some background you know in 1999 stephen king was you know he had kind of this habit of going out for long walks uh during the day you know to break up his writing session he writes for you know eight hours a day so you know you can't blame him and uh, while he was on one of those break uh, uh, walks, one of those one, while he was on one of his breaks, you know, he was run over by a van and broke several bones, was bedridden, um, almost died. And uh, this actually occurred while he was writing this memoir. Um, and yeah, it's interesting because I knew about the accident, and he really only references it twice in his memoir. Uh, at the very end of the whole, of all of on writing, um, literally like the last two paragraphs, he talks about it and how that's really put into everything into perspective. And then briefly earlier in the on writing section, when he's like, uh, you know, kind of an parenthetical, like I remember this point, especially when I almost lost my life when I got run over by a van, um, when he's talking about how as a writer, writing shouldn't be something you do to write writing should not be your life right he, he he uses the analogy of how his desk used to be in the middle of his room and that used to represent and and his room used to represent life and writing was his life and now he keeps his desk in the side of his room in a corner yeah in a, a kind of dark corner and he says no writing should support life 300 million dollars <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, but he's just giving his insight there. And that's so it's it's very interesting how he really only references it twice. Like, I, I'm all for uh, work life balance. It's just uh, I'm less inclined to hear people who are already rich pontificate about its importance. Right. No. It's, yeah. In this case, he was like, talking more about um, I, worked, struggles. I, worked, I worked obsessively for years to become the success, the successful. And now that I'm the successful, my advice to you is not to work obsessively. No, because that's not really what he was trying to talk about there. What he was really talking about there um, 
was because he, he stresses many times in, in on writing that if you want to make writing your profession, you do have to put in like the time. You have to just write, write, write and read, read, read. And you have to dedicate, you know, he says you have to write 8,000 words a day minimum, if a day, every day, no breaks, no days off. Um, but in this case, he was more using it, you know, post-addiction, post, uh, uh, you know, post his sobriety, I guess, during his sobriety about how because he let writing be the center of his life, he kind of forgot about what was important, his wife and kids. And so by moving his desk to the side, he's like, no, writing should support your life. It should be something that you enjoy. It shouldn't be your life, I guess. It was less of a work-life balance because he stresses throughout. I got to give him some credit. You know, he stresses throughout. Like, if you don't put in the time, it's probably not going to happen, you know. So. But, yeah, no, it was very interesting that he really just references that accident with the van just twice. Once in passing and and then just in the last two paragraphs of of the whole book. So. I think it added some more perspective. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Normally, people write memoirs, sort of after the the events have happened. But he sort of wrote this one while the events were happening. Yeah. I mean, obviously, no, yeah. he didn't write about the accident before it happened, but he started writing the book, and then the accident happened. Yeah. Yeah, that did. And it, it clearly influenced it. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I assumed before starting it that he was going to go into more depth about it, but he really, he really doesn't. Maybe I guess, uh, when he wrote it, it was a little too raw or something. Yeah. Perhaps, you know, recounting it was, uh, was a little tough for him back then. Cause he did almost die, but, um, yeah, it is. It is interesting. It, it does add more perspective to it. Like he doesn't even really go into it during the memoir section. You know, kind of. Oh, the, probably because he wrote it before the accident happened. Yeah, yeah. I kind of got the impression though, because he does reference it through the book and passing that may that he maybe just didn't really want to go into it, and he only really brought it up during more powerful moments. So I think he was just trying not to dwell on it too much and. You know, this was published in 2000. He got run over in 1999. He was still very much in the recovery stage. You know, this was something he he dealt with for a long time. So, yeah, I can imagine. What is with these authors? Like, we keep talking about authors who have these horrific accidents. Um, Andre Debussy, like he, you know, he got he yeah. got run over when he was trying to trying to save this, this woman. I mean, it's like it's just. Kind of, kind of. I mean, I guess that's only two. It doesn't, 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 doesn't really make a trend. But um, two that we've covered. <laughs> yeah, two that we've covered. Yeah. And no, I guess. Uh, I mean, Flannery O'Connor got lupus and died young, but that's kind of a different, a different sort of tragedy. Yeah. It is. It's less of a, it's more of a health issue, less of an external thing happening to them. So, well, like what, like, so you said you, 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 uh, you read it in part to improve your, your writing for work. Did you get any takeaways for your work writing? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I kind of read it just because it was recommended by, you know, one of the authors that I follow. And, and because, you know, I've, I've figured it's been a while, you know, since I've actually done something to improve my writing. And so that's why I kind of picked this up. And I thought this would be a relatively entertaining way, you know, when you're looking to improve your writing. Oftentimes, there's not really many entertaining ways to do so. But reading, you know, a book by Stephen King is definitely one of the more entertaining ways to accomplish that. And so that's really just what prompted me to it. I just kind of had this epiphany like, hey, I haven't really done anything in the past, you know, five years to improve my writing. Maybe I should go actually do something. And that's kind of why I picked it up. It was kind of just spontaneous and it was 10 bucks on Amazon. So I figured, why not? Why not? Um, yeah. Um, that's funny. We should do uh, we should do some uh, Stephen King novels on the pod. Absolutely. Those would be very fun. <laughs> he, tends, he tends to write these like thousand page novels though. So we need to, you know. I don't he, know yeah, he has shorter ones too though. Yeah. I think we could find a shorter one. Yeah, to, to our listeners, feel free to uh, comment or let us know what, what you would like us to cover on any episode, and we'll definitely take that into consideration. consideration yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just, I'm not like against covering it or like a larger novel on the pod, or especially if it's worth it. Like, I'll, you know, we can do War and Peace or Anna Karenina, but, you know, it's just. <laughs> It's pretty. It's it's pretty rough to read a thousand it's pages tough, of yeah. forty five minutes of content. What yeah. we could do actually is if if we if we really want to cover a very long novel, what we could do is we could break it up. We could do episodes about different parts of the novel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that makes sense. All right, I think we've uh, we've exhausted uh, uh, on writing. But do you have any? Uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Yeah, I guess my final thought is that, you know, to our listeners, you should definitely read this. Um, as I mentioned, just like about a minute before, this is probably the most entertaining way to go about. If you're looking to improve your writing, this is probably the most entertaining way to do it. You know, a book by Stephen King, definitely better than buying some grammar book. I mean, I mean, to be totally honest with you, Judge, I if you want to improve your business writing, like, I think there are better books to read. This wasn't about improving my business writing. They're, honestly, business writing really isn't a thing. So this is more just to generally improve writing. And I think this is probably a very good book to do that. So um, business writing, God, no, I would never want to improve that. That would There's no entertaining way to go about doing that. It's... The, it's about as entertaining as improving your legal briefing writing. You know, no, there's, no, well, there's actually, no fun way to do it. It's actually not boring. Like there's like good advice about that. And like, you know, there's people who help make legal briefs more readable. I'm not going to get into it right now. Yeah, that's that's neither here nor there. I think I think on writing is a great book to read, not just to improve your writing, but also to uh, get a glimpse into the life of, you know, one of the most famous authors of our time, you know? And so uh, I, I definitely highly recommend it. And uh, well, really you know what, think our- what he's really selling. It's, 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 yes, what you said about get a glimpse into the interior life of Stephen King, but it's a little bit of a fantasy too, right? It's like, 
you get to hear about this rags to riches tale and mm. you know <laughs> i mean the idea of being a fabulously wealthy horror writer who lives in maine like that sounds like a nice life compared to most people who have to you know slug through work a day jobs and uh you know make an income uh much closer to what Stephen King made as a teacher than what he makes as a writer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I there is something, uh, there is, there is something interesting about that social dynamic, right? That, that, that attraction, not just of the, 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 you know, admiration for someone's literary talent, but like when someone is that commercially successful, like they're like that in itself is part of their attraction as a writer. Yeah. And then, uh, and then there's then there's this like reactionary response by people who denigrate the writing just because they happen to be commercially successful. Yeah, and I think that'll always be the case. But you know, I, I again, I'll say I really recommend it. Um, and it, as I mentioned before, it really gives a glimpse into the life of um, probably one of the one of the most successful, one of the top three most successful writers of today's day and age you know, that's alive today. So, um, you guys should all definitely check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I can't, I'm not going to pretend I've read the book more recently, but I, I did also really enjoy it when I read it in high school. Yeah. Anyway, thank you all for listening and, uh, we'll, we'll keep you, po- uh, uh, posted with more bookcasts coming. There will be, uh, there will be more on, on the way there will be so. Stephen King novels that's what we we abs- i don't understand why we haven't done that already yeah uh, there will absolutely there will 100 percent be a stephen king novel coming so well man novels um, novels but one we'll make sure to do one we'll make sure to do one soon yeah all right sounds good all righty hey everyone this is one and i just wanted to make sure that you subscribe to the brothers f on apple spotify stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast Also, if you have Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, make sure to follow us there too. See you next time on the Brothers F.